in your corner, saving one investor at a time, working for clients, not companies, all while bully-proofing portfolios, totally committed to sharing academic truths about investing, always representing Main Street and not Wall Street. It's your Sound Money team, and this is the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. Hello and welcome to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients and not companies. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email, share your thoughts to team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? Well, today we're going to be discussing controlling your investment and retirement fees. So how do you calculate, you know, where do you find these different costs and control your investment fees and overall expenses? That's a good question. And we like to refer to it as uh, well, total cost of ownership. What is your total cost of owning the investments that you have? It's more than just fee. Uh, we find in our industry uh, that fees are loss-led only to draw you into a much larger trap. And that trap is a higher total cost of investing, wherein they don't make it as much on the fee, so they get you over maybe someone else that offers much more for the fee they honestly charge. And then once you're in the cave, the bear consumes you. And what does that mean? It means that the total cost of expenses are greater than other fees you may have been um, considering with other firms that would have given so much more and actually had a lower total cost of investing. So here's, well, a cliche, if you will. You've had to have heard this a hundred times if you've heard it once, but the old saying, every penny counts or a penny saved is a penny earned. You know, for folks in retirement on a fixed income, that is so true. Money still in your wallet and purse uh, from some form of savings, like less total cost of ownership of investments, as this example, is more money for you to spend for the things that are important to you because you do have more of a limited resource of inflows at retirement. You're, you know, you're not out there getting earned income from going to the job each day. It's just a different phase, so many ways. So uh, funny, funny, really, most people sort of fail to think about cost for their investments and their overall financial services and advice. And the same way they consider cost with other aspects of their life, they just don't look at it the same way. So do you uh, consider when you shop, always searching for the best deals, uh, when buying groceries or goods and services of any kind, well, isn't it in your best interest to make sure that you don't overpay for the things that you end up receiving and buying? Of course. And you certainly want to keep as much of your money as you can over time, right? So when it comes to investments, also, you, you know, start privately investing those sizable retirement funds at the point in time you transition from working to retire. Take the 401k, TSA, 403b, whatever it might be, roll it over to an IRA and start the journey. Well, cost will be important. More money in your pocket is just that. Fees can also add up in a hurry. And if you want to make sure that you don't run out of money before running out of life, this is another area to consider. You need to keep as much as you can inside your portfolio at all times, too. That being said, there's always the adage, penny wise, pound foolish. Understand the total cost of investments, not just a fee. If you get, I'll use the word suckered in, to some platform or brokerage firm that's offering a, you know, let's say it's a 1% uh, advisor fee and that looks better than someone's one and a quarter or one and a half or whatever. And you just go for that 1%. 
because you think you're being penny wise. But the whole package, consider all the benefits, the holistic multidisciplinary uh, advice and source of services such as our firm provides, then you've just become pound foolish because you missed the greater truth, the higher truth, and the greater benefit and value for your cost, total cost of investing. So the point is don't overpay for value, but nonetheless, make sure value you have in whatever offering. So um, we can help you assess where you're at. We'll, through a portfolio review, we'll look at all the investments you have, make sure they line up with your risk. We'll turn the investments inside out, look at the uh, internal loads, fees, margins, and expenses. We'll assess your your investment costs and your total costs. And then we'll look at things like opportunity cost and, and what's missing in that smile of that picture hanging on the fridge. Oh, is it some missing teeth? Those teeth would represent missing services that you deserve or the returns you deserve for risk-taking, net of all cost. Just some thoughts as we start, James. And speaking of thoughts, how about some thought-provoking questions? Oh, yeah, the thought-provoking questions that tie into today's show. So much like what Greg was saying before, the analogy of, here's another one, give them the razor but sell the blades. You know, it it still means the same thing, right? What's the cost of actually using your portfolio or, or buying and selling anything within your portfolio? That's sometimes where the costs start adding up. The overall fee structure, that means when we say, what does it cost? That means internal and external fees. That means for investments and advisory fees to buy, sell, hold your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Now, typically, we do choose ETFs over mutual funds simply for the lower cost structure. And if you look at the comparison of what is a mutual fund versus what's an ETF, the exchange-traded funds, you know, again, how does it just seem like all mutual funds are loaded with commissions and fees or are they really all like that? Maybe it just simply is like the 99% gives the other 1% a bad name. What are expense ratios? What other types of fees are inside mutual funds? Do annuities, all annuities have fees? What's the difference between variable annuities versus fixed annuities and fixed indexed annuities? Do higher mutual fund fees translate to higher or better performance? Why do ETFs, at least in general, have lower expense ratios in mutual funds? This is like another way of asking is, why are mutual funds more expensive in general than ETFs? So how do you ask the question, is the glass half empty or is it half full? Or is it always full, just sometimes halfway full of hot air? What's the average cost, the annual cost of an actively managed mutual fund? Same question, what's the average annual cost for variable annuities? Do most actively manage mutual funds, outperform their benchmarks. You know, the different indices that you, when you say, how do I measure or, or gauge the performance of a particular fund, whether it be individual, well, let's just say stocks and funds. How do you measure the performance? Is it underperforming? Is it outperforming? Well, compared to what? And then how do you help control and minimize fees while still receiving value from your investments, your managements? Greg? When I think of those variable annuities, and we're so aware of the internal costs, we're just pretty sure you're not. You know, variable annuities go up and down with the market. They still have inherent market risk. And uh, so why not just be in the market? Well, they offer a layer of insurance, which you also pay for, which amounts to, in essence, this, that if you, let's say, put $100,000 into a variable annuity and the market goes down the positions it's holding by 20%, your $100,000 now $80,000. Okay, so how do you get your $100,000 back? You die, or the market has to come back. So 
a lot of people don't understand that if they start withdrawing from a variable annuity, the guaranteed restoration of the original principal value, in this case, the $100,000, goes away. So if you're down at 80000 start taking some withdrawals because you needed the money, couldn't wait any longer, uh, you destroy the, the benefit of the insurance layer to restore it to $100,000 if you die. So um, and how long do you pay for that restoration fee? Let's say that you've already blown it. Okay, You've taken money from it. And if you were to die with it being at 85000 after making some withdrawals, no one's going to get the 100000 It's no longer a benefit. But how long do you pay for the benefit you can no longer get? It's stuck in that contract for the rest of your ownership, the rest of your days, maybe the rest of your life, you know. It's just there's so much wrong with those instruments on a compared to what basis. And, um, and then mutual funds in general, are there a few good ones? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the military, a few good uh, – it used to be a few good men. I, you know, it still people. is. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, when we see someone come in with a portfolio full of mutual funds, we just look at it and try to bite our tongue because we can't wait to do our nerdy good fun with um, assessing it and analyzing it and coming back with the results to share. Because inevitably, we're going to find that the same things are owned over and over, that there are internal costs that are layered, so that the total cost is very high, that the coverage of proper diversification is blown. It is overly broad it's like it's like too much water in your lemonade it gets watered down returns get watered down the good stuff the decent stuff the not so good stuff and the bad stuff all stirred together gives you nothing less than mediocrity it's not focused like using the etfs or direct stock ownership all of these are hidden hidden cost opportunity lost opportunity cost and inefficiency loss of value and that's before we even do a really good thing by showing you a, a better investment. It's just taking out the garbage of the things you're sitting on to get rid of the stench that you may not smell yet, but is costing you dearly over time, and then pivoting and doing something even better. After we remove the brokenness, we can start the healing, and then we can layer in some better habits, better investments, better approaches, better planning, um, and so forth. So, yeah, your questions provoke some thinking in my mind, James. Oh, here's here's another thought about this. And this, this I'd say, is most commonly with variable annuities. And if you think about this, it's like if you know or if you don't know, but still the, the question and the answer is like this. If up front you find out the average cost of a variable annuity is between 3 and 5%, let's just say it's 4%, just kind of split the difference, and your advisor tells you up front we're going to charge you 4% per year, would you knowingly get into that investment knowing it's going to cost you on average every single year in good times and bad times and everything in between, it's going to cost you annual cost of ownership 4% of whatever your nest egg is that you have invested. Most people, if they're faced with that decision, they'll say, well, of course I would not do that. Well, this is the point. You should know what you're getting into before you get into it. Anyways, there's more. There's much more. I'll find about the office 513 575 9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Mighty Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Opinions expressed are solely those of Brown Financial Advisors and should not be interpreted as specific advice. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified investment advisors prior to implementation. Market-based investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Insurance-based investments offer guarantees based upon the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. All insurance, tax, and mortgage services are offered through Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors 
Advisors, LLC. Brown Financial Advisors and Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors are affiliated companies and may only transact business in those states in which registered or were otherwise legally permitted. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are an independent RIA. That's a registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients, not companies. That's Main Street and not Wall Street. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? Well, James, you know, here we are talking about controlling your investment and retirement fees. We like to refer to it as understanding and uh, managing your total cost of investing, really. Because do you know what you're paying in annual fees, internal and external, for your investment retirement accounts and the advice that you uh, may receive? And what's the quality of that advice? How dynamic is it? How diverse is it? How deep and wide is that advice? Is it holistic? Is it insurance, taxes, investments? Uh, Is it estate planning, financial planning, social security maximization, pension decisions on take a lump sum, take a monthly payment, some combination? Is it tax, tax advisory, tax preparation? Is it all things in one synergistically uh, pushed together to give you an exponential additional level of value over time? And over time, that value just increases. It snowballs. It avalanches into a tremendous amount of value that will help you succeed on purpose and succeed in something that could be an endeavor for many people they only get one shot at. So is it serious? Yes, definitely a serious thing. And when you consider internal, external, all forms of costs related to your investments, that is exactly why we try to lift your chin higher so your eyes look at the horizon and not down at your feet and understand that total cost and what you get for it matters. Do not fall for the loss-led approach of a lower fee that is kind of an empty-handed glove in the end. And um, so in our experience, just discussing retirement, investing with clients, you know, very few know exactly how much money is coming out of their investments relative to the risk, relative to the reward, net of any cost, you know, minus the, the, uh, the other layers of cost or the redundancies of positions and the inefficiency which is its own expense and its own opportunity cost. That's what we'll assess and analyze when you come in. We'll look at the whole lay of the land, all of your investments, align them to your risk, your objectives, your purposes for money. Money, buckets of money should have a job description. We'll make sure that your income and cash flow plan is dead on. And spot on why? Well, because cash flow is retirement. Try being retired, staying retired, and enjoying life after working for 30 years without cash flow. Not good. So anyway, the number of when you see this all together uh, as a, a total load of costs, uh, it's, it can be quite a daunting number. So what if you found out that you had a financial product or a series of investments bundled together that were costing you upwards of 5% in annual fees and you didn't even know it? Well, at least you'll come in, go through our process. First appointment's all about you. Second appointment is uh, all about you taking the information provided in the first and giving you all the analysis and information and feedback and findings, and then a comprehensive financial plan, income plan, and we lay on the table, literally, all the recommendations, nothing held back, and then you get to decide on a, a uh, no-obligation basis. That means free. We're up, up to that point, we've poured in uh, resources and time, and you, you've, uh, you know, you've donated some time. You've invested some time. 
to get vital information that I assure you you'll benefit by, whether we end up working together or not. So what if you thought the only fee you were paying was 1% annual management fee to your advisor? Well, your advisor probably isn't a financial fiduciary, by the way, meaning legally putting your interest first in every situation. Why do I say that? Because if you're dealing with a brokerage firm or a bank or one of these trading platforms, um, and any of these organizations have football stadiums named after them, they have mutual funds that begin with the first letter, letter of their name, then you're not where you need to be. You need to seek shelter immediately. As a matter of fact, here's where it's season of spring and tornadoes and thunderstorms and all. Seek shelter immediately. Because you'll find out later, that advice, that source, that investing, that platform is carrying an additional 1% to 2% or more, putting you at the 3% plus range on an annualized basis. That is more than twice what you'd find in our relationship. And you would get about five times more on average. Why? Because the holistic number of services and variety that we will pour into our relationship at no additional cost, it all matters. Hope you'll choose wisely, but some of the best ways to make good decisions is to have very good information. So again, let us help you arrive at findings and understandings more where you are, bridge the gap of where you're going, show you the, uh, the way, like at a kiosk, you know, that kiosk, kiosk where you, you have the dot, this is where you are, and you see across the uh, the map where the, you know where it is you want to go. It's important. We'll get it all mapped out. Then you decide what you want to do from there. James? Well, here's, here's something else to think about, too, when it comes to what are you paying for in your investments. And starts off with this. Are you going to be doing it yourself? So there's plenty of do-it-yourselfers out there. Or are you going to be working with a financial advisor? So if you're working with a financial advisor, just know that they don't work for free. So there's going to be some type of advisory fees built into your investment portfolio. Second one is if you're going to, no matter if to do it yourselfers or you're working with certain financial advisors and you're investing in mutual funds, then you have to worry about, well, what are the mutual funds? What's inside the mutual funds? What types of overlaps, redundancies, inefficiencies do you have inside the, the funds? Who is the fund manager of the different funds? You know, it's, it's, this is where you go down the slippery slope, peeling layers of the onion, if you will say, well, if I have five different mutual funds, as an example, what are the redundancies or the overlaps of those five different mutual funds? Maybe it's 10 different mutual funds that you own. You're thinking that I need to be diversified, right? So I need to own these 10 different mutual funds. Then you come to find out only when you visit someone such as us, we run a Morningstar portfolio uh, performance report that shows you exactly what's inside your portfolio. Then sometimes only then do you find out how much inefficiencies you truly have inside your portfolio. And here again, you thought you were doing a good thing, which was doing it yourself, eliminating those advisory fees, but then come to find out, oops, I have all these different costs that I just didn't know I was paying. Gosh, James, that uh, brings out some, some memories of just things we've learned over the years. Um, for example, with the, the redundancy, let's say you have three unique funds. They look like they're unique. They have different names or from different managers. They're different organizations. So you think you're pretty good. Got some uniqueness, has some diversification. As James mentioned, you find out that each of these funds are owning the same thing. Let's just say it's, it's uh, Apple. And, and you would like to think that you should own Apple. Maybe you should. Apple's a good company. Uh, most companies that are good companies are even better companies occasionally. It's just when to own them, why to own them, and how much of them to own. But here's the point. Let's just say Apple was worth owning, and you own it in three different funds. But the manager for fund number one's had enough of Apple, and it's time to sell, sell, sell. Fund number two says, I like Apple. We're just going to hold it. 
Fund number three says, buy, buy, buy. They're buying more Apple. So here you are. You're just you. Uh, where's, what's that mean to you? Don't you just need to own it if you need to own it and own a certain amount of it if you need to own it? <laughs> yes. So what does that really paint a picture of what I just described? We've used the analogy for years that it's like tying two horses by the tail. Tie them together by the tail, then slap them both on the rear. That's what it looks like in your financial world. You're not, you don't have a direction. You might even say mathematically a third, a third, and a third, that the one that's buying, the third that's holding, third that's selling, is leaving you in like neutral nowhere land. This is what we find. And if that sounds efficient to you, then we do need to have a prolonged discussion. And then um, the do-it-yourself investor. Each year there's a report, a study, that is called the Dalbar Research Study. And Dalbar looks at the nature of investors, passive investors, actively managed investors, and do-it-yourself investors, and all the elements that go into um, making investments perform the best with consideration of risk taken net of all cost. And what it routinely, I don't think there's ever been a, a an exception to this. The do-it-yourself investor over 10-year periods usually gets about 65 to 70% less of the returns for a variety of reasons attempting lucky stock picking market timing and doing their basis of track record investing. And then you layer in emotion and market timing tied to emotion um, or bias or position bias where you fall in love with your investment only to find it's been running around on you. I mean, this goes on and on. We can make the case scientifically or we can just make it simple and practical and let's just work together, fix these things and proceed um, successfully forward. But there's, there's a lot. Even when we do this show, where something's said or something's mentioned or a reference is made, and it just brings more and more thoughts. You know, oftentimes they're off track from our show itself, but it's information that, that is expressed by experience. Experiences we don't want you to have to learn that you, if you don't have to. You, at, least, at least not learn the hard way. Yes, you are the adult child we want to spare from any of life's ills. You know, if you try that with real children, you're just, you're keeping them from learning the lessons they need to. But, uh, but for you and your retirement, we don't want you to take any unnecessary falls. There's more. There's much more. Our fund about the office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are an independent registered investment advisory firm. We do refer clients, not companies, and it does all start with having a plan. Well, that means actually having a plan, knowing what you own and why you own it. So whether you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 403b, IRA rollover, investment planning, retirement planning, income planning, tax planning, social security maximization, Roth conversion analysis, NUA analysis, and for some, perhaps even in-service rollover. All those and more we can help, 513-575-9654. Our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence, y'all. Well, here we are, controlling your investment and retirement fees. How to find, calculate, and control your investment fees and expenses. That's our topic and James, all those things you just rattled off, what I'm, I'm proud to know you because um, everything that James just rattled off, he personally as an advisor is capable of doing. That's, he's talented. 
and diverse and humble. But uh, even, you know, adding back in the layer of tax preparation, tax advisory, add that to his list, Medicare uh, consulting during open enrollment and throughout the year, helping our clients coordinate their benefit on transitioning from traditional medical insurance over to uh, Medicare and, and revisiting that annually as necessary for people to make their choices based on changes in networks and providers and the benefits and formularies and just all these, these things that are moving parts that can make a difference in your life. So um, anyway, we're glad to have James. Been a friend forever, and I mean that literally uh, over 40 years. And we've worked together most of our adult life and um, talk about a really good person who could really help people just like you are listening today. Um, and we'll be here, friends, to the end, working this out. I mean, if you ever, ever wonder what, what an advisory team's um, transition and successorship plan is, we have one. It's multi-generational, so you're fine. If you hang your hat with us, you'll be good for decades. But that aside, uh, the senior team, you know, the long in the thing, we plan on working at least three days a week for the rest of our life. We either die at home or die at work. How's that? And why is that? Well, because, you know, you're going to keep a relationship healthy at home, um, balance your time. You know, the second thing is if you have a nice hobby or two, you can sure ruin them in four days a week spent on them. And lastly, we found as we meet nice folks just like you, that staying engaged seems to matter a lot with longevity of, of uh, life and engaged with, you know, your mind and all the things. So um, what's that puzzle called? It starts with an S. Sudoku. Sudoku. So our work is, at least it's my Sudoku. Anyway. Well, staying engaged, that's a good reminder too about for especially people who are married or have a significant other out there is involve both parties in these discussions. Yes. We, We see far too often where, say, for example, the husband has been handling these things for years, maybe even decades, and the wife kind of takes a back seat and says, well, honey, that's your job. I'll let you handle that, and she doesn't get involved. And then what happens when suddenly he becomes incapacitated or dies? Suddenly she feels like she's kind of been dropped on her head and doesn't know what to do. So, you know, before it's too late, both parties should be intimately involved in the finances, in the decision-making, and knowing exactly what's in the portfolio and why you have what's in your portfolio. Absolutely. We see it both ways, and a lot of our clients work with us just for that reason. They know we can handle each of these areas in one common place, and we can um, take their their survivor by the hand or their you know executor and their children, their, their legacy and beneficiaries, and bring them on board and take them on a tour through all the things that were you in your financial um holdings, positions, your wishes, and then help them transition into their estate, what you've left behind in a tax efficient way with a plan and recommendations on how to invest. And we work oftentimes very multi-generationally through our clients, the, um, the parents, the children, and the grandchildren. And uh, because that's where your money's rolling, right? To the next generation, if you don't spend it first, the side of eternity, it's going to be going somewhere. We should map that out together. Even if the next person to receive your wealth is your surviving spouse. As James mentioned, that may not have the strength in this area. We will be your reinforcement. If a player goes down, and we'll finish the game for the team. So, um, and look at some of these, um, here's, here's a rhetorical question. If you could save a hundred thousand dollars simply by making better choices, would you do this? Mm, yes. You took too long to answer that, right? Well, uh, in a recent study, financial state compared buying two separate funds, one being a mutual fund, one being an ETF, exchange-traded fund, trades like stocks, more tax-efficient. You can be more surgical in what it holds. You don't have to inherit a bunch of things you don't want. It 
unlike a mutual fund. Uh, but anyway, one mutual fund, one ETF. Subsequently owning those funds for a 40-year period, what was the result? $190,000 total cost difference when all said and done. So almost double that 100000 to 200000 So it matters what you hold, why you hold it. Uh, James? Well, and when we get into the different types of fees or the different types of expenses, we kind of break them down into different categories. So there's four different categories or types of fees to to really pay attention to. And kind of starts like this. You have your basic product level fee or the fees that the company offering the financial vehicle that they're going to attach to the product. I know it sounds so transactional at that point in time, but here's, here's an example. And we're not going to pick on any one particular firm per se, but here's just a common example with someone such as an Edward Jones. So they may have taken some, perhaps even all of your money, invested into something called American Funds Mutual Funds. American Funds, by the way, is their own separate entity. They are a mutual fund company. And in this case, the financial advisory company, which is Edward Jones, is simply using their own mutual fund products for their clients. However, that American Funds mutual fund isn't exactly free to invest in. They charge an annual expense and a commission is also paid to the salesperson who puts you in it. And they also charge what's called 12B1 fees, marketing fees. These are just examples of products that you can put into you know, your portfolio And when you look at the fees that the company might be charging you, these are what's called product charges. Greg, what's next? Custodian level fees. So um, on custodian level fees are typically the smallest of the fee categories, but worth noting anyway, like if you have a TD Ameritrade account or Schwab account um, and you hold the American funds, mutual fund inside it, then not only do you pay American funds as mentioned, and I guess, and also indirectly Edward Jones, right? But you also pay TD Ameritrade, the custodian. And they are the ones, say, administering and hosting the investment account for you. That's where the transactions are occurring. That's where the year-end accounting and documents and trade confirmations and monthly statements are all pouring out of. Custodian is typically going to charge two types of fees. One would be the annual maintenance fee. Not all custodians charge this. And it could be something like around $30 annually, whatever it may be on that annual basis. The other fee they're going to charge is the cost of trade, buy or sell. And it depends on if it's transaction free. But we all know nothing's quite for free, right? So where is the the expense structure at that pays them to sponsor certain services and activities? Well, good question. Uh, it can be an interesting hunt. Well, when you sell a fund or buy another one, they're likely going to charge to sell the fund, then charge again to buy something. Trading costs vary greatly across different custodians. And... Um, in different programs, different contracts, and our contracts, unlimited trade, and we have some benefits with our platform at Custodian to control cost. Anyway, James? Going back to the different types of fees also that you may or may not be paying. So when we talk about advisory fees, which is the next category of fees, advisory fees, that's only going to be if you're working with a financial advisor or someone who's licensed to charge and sell fees, such as the brokers or, the you know, as Greg likes to say, the brokers who make you broker. Anyway, here's the point. There's also the actively versus passively managed types of funds. And yes, if you just simply passively buy an index, you can save on these types of fees or, or expenses that you're being charged, but you also will own that particular index for better or for worse. So if, if it's like 2022 all over again and you're in the NASDAQ, which is down 33%, if you're hanging out in the S&P 500, which is only down about 15%, 
Well, then that's what you're getting. If you were thinking, well, 2022, I didn't want to take as much risk, so I went to bonds. And then, oh, I only lost only lost about 10% when I was in the bonds portfolio. So there's always risk involved if you're in the market. Don't, don't get us wrong about that. There's always some type of risk when it comes to owning anything that's a market-based uh, portfolio. But when it comes to the fees, you should be more, I, I guess, aware of what you're paying. So when it comes to advisory fees, yes, you will pay advisory fees if you're working with an advisor. And it might be that they're charging you 1% annually. It might be that they're charging you 1.5% annually. And this is really based on what's called the assets under management. So if you hear the term AUM, that's what that means is assets under management. So if you have 500000 being managed, and if it's a 1.5% fee, that's $7,500 per year. And this is on top of the product fees that you might have been paying, as well as the custodial fees. Yep. Next area is commissions and loads. So, and lastly, depending on the type of advisor you have, they may be licensed to make commissions or collect loads from investments that they recommend that um, that they recommend you be put into. Okay. So, we are fee based, uh, not commission, not load, not transactional commissions. We don't collect loads. We don't get rebates from funds or companies. It's just, it's lean, mean, and clean. It's the way it's supposed to be, in our opinion, and provide a holistic array of services, not just a one-trick pony of just investments with loads and fees and high internal costs that get rebated, again, rebated back to the company. That's an important point to consider, and we'll get into that in more detail when we get back from commercial break. But our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us, we can help. And stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borton. We are an independent registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients and not companies. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. And while you're there, you can also listen to some of our more recent shows. So if you don't catch all of our show today, then go to our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Go to the podcast section and listen to the Sound Money Investment Show at your leisure. Our email address, team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Home office is in Milford, but also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? Well, continuing with controlling your investment and retirement fees, really your total cost of ownership when investing. And we've gone through different um, areas and layers of of costs and expenses, and we're kind of going to finish up on commissions and loads. Now, depending on the advisor type you have, could be licensed to take commissions and collect loads from the investments, uh, transactionally speaking, the investments they place you in a load. Now, remember that the American Fund Mutual Fund example we mentioned earlier and how it's a subsidiary of Edward Jones, and, and not to pick on him specifically, just sets up such a, an, an exacting model for us to share, where those advisors you know, get paid something from the firm. Those advisors get some type of um, um, subsidized cost for operating in national marketing and brand management and, uh, and a, a client base and systems and tools. Uh, that particular setup has advisors who can... Uh, place you in investments, almost exclusively mutual funds, and oftentimes American funds, a company they own, 
a subsidiary. So in this type of environment, let's say that you, uh, you were put into some mutual funds and most of the funds are A shares. They come in A, B, and C. Okay, A shares, which means that your advisor puts $100,000 into the mutual fund. They might take 5.75% right off the top as an upfront sales load. So what does that really mean? It's an additional commission they get to collect on top of perhaps even an advisory fee. So if you invest $100,000, they get 5.75% of it, and your initial investment starts at about $94,250. So if you drop $100,000 in, you look right immediately the next day. How's your investment doing? Let's say the market did nothing. It's just flat. Didn't go up, didn't go down. But you notice you're at $94,000. you are down almost 6% already, and you hadn't even got started yet. So do people know this by and large? No. They really, you, you out there as the, the average consumer investor, oftentimes you just don't know what you don't know. And um, we've got your back because we are fiduciaries. We put your interest first. Who do we work for? You. Just like our tagline says, working for clients, not companies. So an important thing to remember is that there are certain advisors, advisor practice and salespeople that are licensed to incorporate all four levels of these additional fees into the mix. Total cost of ownership matters, not just fee. All right. So there's also two financial vehicles that can be laden with fees. And when we talk about the different types of financial vehicles, again, usually we're talking about mutual funds. So let's start with that. On the mutual funds, there's actively managed mutual funds. And there's the other one that's also the passively, which is also known as index funds. So we're speaking here about the actively managed funds. And usually what you're looking at when it comes to the the fund manager is they have different benchmarks that they're trying to gauge their performance against. So for example, let's just say it's the S&P 500. That is the benchmark. So their goal, the people managing the fund, is to buy, sell, or whatever is to hold the SARS inside the funds that they want to outperform or to beat that otherwise whatever the benchmark is. So if the S&P 500 is up 20% for the year, the fund manager is looking to get at least 21% as a comparison to what the S&P 500 or the benchmark is doing. If the market is down, that means the S&P is down 15%. They want to lose no more than 14%. So for this active management, they will also charge what's known as an expense ratio. So, Greg, what's the expense ratio? Well, that expense ratio, I was thinking about um, just the positioning we have on mutual funds. When you were saying, in this case, we were talking about mutual funds primarily, we're talking about them because they're a source of these types of issues and problems. Um, It's not that we use them or like them. We only have really one strategy that utilizes mutual funds, and it's our our socially conscientious um, series of investments, they, they, they do pretty well because, you know, we, we actively select the funds involved. And here's the irony I find of, of the clients that use that. Um, not a lot because we just go straight for stock ownership, ETF, and all kinds of cool strategies. But when people ask for this, for the reason of being conscientious about where their investment's at, the irony is that any liberal clients we have kind of like them and extremely conservative clients seem to like them, but neither knows how similar they are in, in owning the same thing that they kind of like. It's just an observation I've made that I can't, I can't explain any further why that is, but um, how about politics make for strange bedfellows from time to time? That is exactly the phrase to pin on this. Exactly. So as James was intimating, Expense ratios. What are expense ratios? 
So according to a recent uh, article in Forbes or Forbes, Forbes.com, the average annual expense ratio for these types of funds, mutual funds, is around 1% per year. On top of that, they have an average annual transaction cost of 1.44%. Okay. Now, if you consider that a lot of actively managed funds could also be what are called A shares or loaded funds, you may also be paying a commission on top of that, an annual expense cost that's internal. Internal, can't quite see it. We could certainly justify that the added cost, if it is there, would, would be okay if it translated to performance, right? Just maybe. But the problem is it doesn't. It usually does not. According to the Motley Fool Research Study, 66% of active mutual funds failed to beat their respective benchmark indices. So the cost doesn't have a chance of being recouped or justified or made whole uh, for the investor. Fewer than 8% of large-cap active managed mutual fund managers were able to beat the benchmark index over the past 15 years. 8% beat it in 15 years. That means 92% didn't. You pay a premium for underperformance. And on that cost, 100% or 1% expense ratio plus transaction cost of 1.44, that's 2.44. I mean, it's like double what our management fee is for active real management, all things included, the kitchen sink. But, um, and that 2.44% annual cost, remember, on top of that could be A shares. It could be anywhere from 3 to 5%, maybe as high as 6 It just, it's, it's something. You just need to know what's on the inside. Don't be lost led by the fee. Sometimes people look at our fee, look at you know, XYZ Co's fee and say, well, ours is larger. No, our total cost of ownership is less, much less, much less, and you get much more. But Wall Street knows that. That's why they lost lead the fund. Like you said, the razors, um, you know, we were talking about uh, cartridge toner, printer toner. You know, they give away, they nearly give away the printers, but charge you for the toners, right, and the cartridges. Same kind of thing. Watch out. The cost of ownership. So when it comes to variable annuities, and yes, variable annuity is an insurance contract. That means the wrapper is an insurance type of a contract. But inside of that are a series of mutual funds. And those different mutual funds are usually put into what's called sub-accounts. And the sub-accounts each separately have a type of fee structure involved. So when we, you know, all the rules we just went through for the actively managed mutual funds apply here as well. And on top of that cost, variable annuities have several other fees that can stack up in a hurry. One is called a, uh, I'll use the acronym first and explain it. It's called M&E, which is Mortality and Expense Charge which is another 1% typically annual charge. And it is a form of a life insurance type of charge from the issuing insurance company. That's what usually provides the death benefit. But again, this is why usually with variable annuities, we like to say, and it's maybe not a great joke, but it's still, it's a very fitting analogy. People are dying to get their money back when it comes to variable annuities. Yes, sad but true. And uh, along that same line, if you want insurance, let's go get you some insurance. If you want an investment, let's make an investment. Let's keep things more pure, simple, clean, and efficient. efficient yes. So other add-ons that uh, may make sense in the right product for the right reason, but not just as an add-on for an additional commission. It is such things as riders, death riders, death benefit riders, income, lifetime income riders. Uh, you could call these bells and whistles. Uh, special enhancements usually come with a cost. Add an income rider, a death benefit enhancement, or a long-term care rider, and you'll likely see the fee number go up once again. So it's not uncommon to see a variable annuity with a rider or two. Have an annual all-in of the expenses we've discussed so far relative to variable annuities to be north of 4%. 
And we oftentimes just say we find them routinely to be between 3 and 5%. Well, in this example, just keeping it simple, upwards of 4%. And um, anyway, James? Well, there's more. There's so much more. I mean, alternatives would be instead of mutual funds, ETFs or exchange-traded funds. Instead of variable annuities, fixed annuities. Fixed annuities includes the multi-year guaranteed annuities, other ones known as MICAs. There's also the fixed index annuities. And again, the efficiency of the underlying investment is what's so crucial and so fundamentally important about owning those instead of the variable annuities, instead of the mutual funds. Yeah, instead of owning the mutual funds to actively manage stocks and funds. Yes, better, and there's, better approach. there's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us, we can help. Now, on behalf of Greg, myself, James, we want to thank you for listening today. Have a great week. And remember this, sound money, where good things are believable, achievable, and true for you. <laughs>